Logical outlines is our topic this evening. It's on page 45. Open your books to logical outlines. And of course, Brother Paul dealt with this already. And we will be continuing to overlap in our study of preparing and delivering Bible messages, preaching, which includes the combined disciplines, although they could be seen as one, of interpreting the text and then delivering it in a God-honoring way. So we're discussing logical outlines, and it has been my experience that hearing something the first time is like reading a good, thoughtful book the first time. Rarely can you get the juice out of that steak by merely moving your, your teeth one time. You want to chew until you get all of the juice out of that piece of meat. And here on Logical Outlines, we need to have our minds refreshed repeatedly. A lot of this material will be repetitious. So if you have questions now, having had the chance to reflect for several months on the materials of how to arrange your thoughts. For example, as we go through Soldier, how to divide the passage well. If you have questions, let's bring those up. And in the last half of of our first discussion this evening, we'll take some time to practice this. On page 45, logical outlines, we have to grapple with how do we structure our thoughts? How do we write so that our words will assist us? They will be a ladder to raise us up to the truth of Scripture. And we'll deal with three topics this evening. The importance of outlines, and then what is an outline or the definition, and then a method. How can we do it? And that's similar, as we said, to what Paul's already dealt with. Let me give a few reasons why it is dangerous not to use an outline. Those who don't use outlines will fall or may fall into forgetting important parts of their study. So if you don't have your thoughts arranged in an organized pattern, you're going to forget something that you don't want to forget if you don't use those outlines. And even the most basic of an outline of having a thesis statement and your main points, if it would be two main points or three or four or five, at least having that written down as some of the greatest preachers would preach from merely a simple slip of paper with their main points recorded there. A second danger is that the preacher will quit preparing. If you don't have the habit of developing outlines, you may not discipline yourself to the full study. You may read the passage And then say, oh, I know enough about it. And the best of men can fall into that danger. Preaching without notes or preaching without an outline can very quickly tempt you to to an exalted opinion of your own logical and scriptural abilities. So that you will say, oh, I know this much. When in reality, if a more skilled or more experienced man were there, he would say, no, you need more help there. Your Bible knowledge and your Bible memory, your skill at speaking to people's hearts is not at that level. And if you're not disciplining yourself to spend 8 or 10 or 12 hours at work, then you'll fall quickly into spending 4 or 2 or 1. Danger number 3, rambling. Many people ramble who do not prepare. Some orator, I believe in the United States, said if you prepare for 2 hours... You speak for 20 minutes, and if you prepare for 20 minutes, you speak for two hours. 
What he was meaning by that was those who prepare follow their preparation. And those who don't prepare ramble, saying to themselves as they walk in a confused and twisted line, I knew there was a point over here somewhere. It's like someone going into the backyard to get the shovel. Well, it's very difficult at night because you can't tell you're kind of groping for it. But in the day, you find it immediately or with a torch. That's what an outline does. It gets you straight to the shovel and back again. Danger number four, losing the attention of the people. If you don't have an outline, your people tend to say, he's just talking, so I'm not sure when he's going to start or stop or end. I don't know where it's progressing to. But if you consistently teach with an outline, then the people know, he told me up front, there are four clues to the divinity of Christ in this passage. Or, there are three reasons why we need to love the church of Jesus Christ. Or, there are four verbs that show us the commands in this passage. If we know that up front, and if we're accustomed to hearing that, since every sermon is a lesson in hermeneutics, then every sermon will be guiding us and teaching the people subconsciously how to read their Bibles and how to listen to the next Sunday's message. Danger number five. The preacher raises his chances of missing the point of the passage if he doesn't have an outline. We are heading off to gym camp tomorrow with the young men, and I am tasked with the noble responsibility of teaching how to shoot. I did enjoy shooting back in the day, and so today I thought, I better make sure I have everything that's ready. So I I got our air rifle out. And I had purchased 1,500 BBs, and I poured them in there and came out and began to attempt to plug the two-liter bottles from 5 meters, 10 meters, 15, and 20. And if you're really a sharpshooter, to get the bottle cap, which we set by itself. And I'll tell you if you ask whether I hit or not. (laughs) And I, I recognized and realized how critical the sights are how vital those sites are. An outline can serve as those sites. And if you don't have those, you might end up, you'll say to yourself, the bottle's directly in front of me. I'm two meters away. I've got to hit this thing. And when you pull the trigger, you don't hear the sound of hitting that bottle. You're two meters away. How could you miss it? That's what many sermons are like. Many sermons are like that man who thinks he's aiming directly at the tin can, but when he pulls the trigger, he doesn't hear, ping. And when, when you preach, you may think, I'm looking right at what the Bible says, but you're talking off in some odd, confused place because you didn't do the preparation of writing out your thoughts in an argument form. But what are the benefits of having an outline? Those are some of the dangers. Well, the benefits would be missing all those dangers. Guarding yourself, putting up a fence from all those dangers. But let's say positively, the preacher understands the natural argument of the passage if he takes the time to construct it in words. So an outline is that construction. Secondly, the preacher sharpens his mind. Simply by writing, his mind becomes sharper. The writing mind, under usual circumstances, always surpasses the non-writing mind. 
Because the act of congealing your thoughts into a hard form there in front of you, invisible form, is going to force you and channel you into a logical progression. Number three, benefit number three, the preacher will teach his people more effectively with an outline because they will see, okay, we just saw the subject is God. Now let's see what he's doing. He's loving. Now your people are thinking more clearly. You just spent 12 minutes to talk to them about God as the subject, and now it's going to be God loving, and they already can tell what's the third point. The world. God and loving the world. All right. They're beginning to think in the logical progression, and you yourself will have your mind structured in that way. Benefit number four. The preacher gains his people's attention more effectively. Because you must, you must assume that your pre- people are coming because they want to hear the Bible. Now, if they come with goodwill, desiring to learn, then assume that if you really teach them, they'll be happier than if you don't. If your people really want to learn, and if you labor to teach them, they'll be happier and you'll hold their attention. Benefit number five, the preacher gives himself a clear goal in preparation by writing an outline. Sometimes you wonder, are you done preparing? What does it mean to prepare? Are you ready to preach? And the answer is, if you have your thesis statement and if you have your outline, then at least in the most basic sense, you're prepared to move on. Those are some of the benefits. A sermon without an outline is like preparing a meal but not giving any dishes. The meal's still there, but it may get messy. You might get some of it in, but you'd get more of it in, and it'd be a more pleasing experience all the way around, something that people would want to do again next week. If you just had a plate, a knife, a fork, a cup, so help them out. What is an outline? Roman numeral two. It's the natural argument of the passage. Underline that. The natural argument of the passage. We are not teaching you how to give the five C's of contentment. We're teaching you how to look at the text and see what it says. And if the text tells you the five C's of whatever, then tell us that. But we're not telling you this is how to give a speech. This is rather the method for guiding you to find out what is the argument of the writer. Every passage in scripture has some kind of an argument that is a point that it's driving at. And the outline is the tool by which you Teach yourself to move toward it. And therefore, since God's thoughts are the apex, the high point, the pinnacle, the climax, the peak of the mountain for all effective communication of all logic and consistency, then if you have an argument that is structured off of his words, you'll be moving toward perfection as well in your speaking. And hermeneutics, as Paul has said a number of times, is the process of finding that argument. What is hermeneutics? Finding the argument. What is homiletics? Talking about it. Finding it and talking about it. Putting it in your words. Or we could say, hermeneutics is logic. Homiletics is rhetoric. Hermeneutics is looking. Homiletics is talking. And of course, those two go together. As you behold the glory of Christ in the text through those laws... Then you open your mouth and let the redeemed of the Lord say so in homiletics. All right. 
If you found the main point of the passage, then you've just got to look at the buffalo carefully enough until you can organize it logically. And the end result of the meeting of the mind of the author and bringing out your own words to match the author's ideas and sentiments will be an outline. Do you follow that? The final result of the author's main points and you're struggling to get those points. Here's the author. That's Paul the Apostle or Isaiah the Prophet. And they said something. And now you are going to struggle to get at that. That The end result of their words and your struggle should be that clear outline. So formally, an out, this is letter G. Formally, an outline is a method of arranging material. Just underline that. Method of arranging material. So that all similar ideas are related. That's the point. You see that? We want to relate similar ideas. At the core, logic is simply this. Safana, asifani, safananyana. Comparing two ideas and declaring, are they the same or are they different or are they partly the same and partly different? So logic or the right way to think in its core would be, I've got two ideas. Let's say, breaking the law of speeding on N1 and justice. Logic is going to take those two ideas, justice and breaking the law of speeding on N1, and it's going to compare those two ideas and see, are those two ideas the same? Is it just? Is it righteous? Is it good? Is it lining up with every standard of God's perfection? To break the speed limit on N1. Or is it disagreeing? Do justice and breaking the speed limit entirely disagree? Or is there just a little bit of overlap? Sometimes and in some ways, breaking the speed limit lines up with justice. And sometimes and in other ways, it doesn't. That's in its essence logic. And when you have an outline, you're attempting to determine which ideas in my passage relate and to what degree. My passage is the prodigal son. There's a son and a father. I want to compare those two. How similar are they? Are they completely different or partly the same? I want to compare the father's actions and the son's actions. Are those the same or different or partly the same? Partly. The same? I want to compare the elder brother's actions and the younger brother's actions. Are they completely the same, completely different or partly? An outline does that. An outline is the tool by which you naturally say to the people, look, I want you today to see some things that are different. Interestingly, just today I was preparing Sunday morning's message. And point number two of the message is similarities between this and the new covenant. Point number three of Sunday morning's message is differences between this passage and the new covenant. That's what a good outline should do. It ought to prepare our minds to see the similarities or the differences or the partial or that at times under certain conditions <clears throat> method. How can I do this? What can I do? There's a couple ideas. One, two, three, four of them. A, B, C, and D. First of all, discover the purpose statement. Now we dealt with that already last week. 
because before you can have an effective or thorough outline, you'll need to understand what the main point of the passage is. So discover the purpose statement. We dealt with this last week. It's the most critical task of exegesis. If you're going to preach, you must have a clear, crisp comprehension of what is this passage saying. You ought to be able to say it in a crisp way that does not wander like you're going in the middle of the night to look for the shovel. If if someone asks you on Saturday, are you prepared to preach on Sunday? And you say, yes. What's your main point? You should not need two minutes to tell them the main point. Now, you might be able to talk for two or 10 or 20 or 50 minutes, but you should be able to say in a crisp sentence of 15 or 20 or 30 words, How long does it take to say 30 words? You should be able to, in a crisp way, explain that's the point of the passage. And that's very hard work, which is why many men don't do it. It's one of the reasons many men don't do it. It's hard work. God told Adam that by the sweat of your brow, you would eat your bread. And pastors are no different. If we cannot answer the question of why God put the passage in the Bible, don't preach. You're not ready yet. But if the statement is well written, then all the main points of the passage will be in some way hidden inside it. Now we covered all that last week. So let's move down to letter B. Break the thesis statement into logical parts, logical segments from the text. Now I've got to admit, You can sometimes do this in the reverse. You can sometimes go to the text and break it into logical segments in order to get your clear thesis statement. But that's what I said last week. As you're just looking at the buffalo and recording your observations, as you're writing down the things that you've noticed, for God so loved the world, it begins with a conjunction. Subject is God. Verb is love. Object is the world. The person doing the action is the creator. He's different from the object who has a beginning. And on and on and on. As you're making this, you you might be able to see those natural divisions falling apart like perfectly cooked meat. When you stick the fork in just to pick it up out of the pot, oh my, it's falling off the fork. I'd better get a spoon because this is going to be the best meal we've had all year. Now, when you look at the passage long enough, that's what happens. The, The text just opens up. So you say, now, now the flavor's coming out. Break that thesis into logical segments from the passage. So sometimes the major headings will emerge before the thesis, or sometimes while you're staring at the text, you'll see the major headings come out. Sometimes it's very easy. It'll be a list in the Bible. Sometimes it's very easy. It'll be multiple commands in a row. Sometimes it's easy because you'll have paragraph headings in your edition of the Bible. But these headings are going to be the major ideas that you're going to talk about. They're going to be the major logical arguments, major logical legs of your logical argument that you're going to bring out. And your observations should be very helpful to you as you do this. Now, I'd like to begin using 2 Corinthians 13.5 as an example. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 13.5. And let's use this as an example for the remainder of this Brief message this evening. Second Corinthians thirteen five. T 
Tiani. Let us go to Kusaya, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Okay. Now using that as an example, here's a way, as you can see in the notes, these are written out in the notes there under letter B. But if you just looked at that and you're trying to pull observations from that passage, why would Paul tell the Christians in Corinth to examine themselves? Who are these people? So then you write down five observations. The church began in Acts chapter 18. They've already had a letter. Or is it more than one letter? Is it two letters? And you begin to write these things down. Was it a good church or a bad church? Was it his favorite church? What do we know about the church? Question number two. What exactly is Paul telling them to do? You tell me, what is Paul telling them to do in verse 5? See whether you faith. Okay, they've got to look at themselves. They test themselves, examine themselves, see where they're at. Okay? And there's a lot more you could say from that. You could be, is it a test of salvation? Is it a test of good works? Number three, what condition does he place? What condition does he place in verse 5? It's a little more tricky, but you can get it. What's the, what condition does he place? If this, then this. If not this, then not this. What condition? The if, then. If not this, then not this. If, Christ if there's no Christ, then what? They have failed the test. You're not in the faith. Yeah, so there's a condition there. You've got to find, when you're looking at yourself, what must you find? You must find Jesus Christ. If you don't find that, then you fail the test. So there's this condition. Look down in there for Christ, which is, um, that's why when you gave your testimony the first time, I said, I think you'd better wait because we were looking for what? We were looking for Christ. And if you're going to give your testimony and be baptized in a Christian church, we want Christ. So look down in yourself and look for him. And if you find him and you have love for him, then when you come to the Lord's people, Tell us and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come, all you who fear the Lord, and I will declare what God has done for my soul. Okay, keep going. Question number four. Is there a fourth point? Because you see, we are, that could be three points, right? The first question, who are these people? The second question, what do they have to do? The third question, what's the condition? Could those be three points logically? Who is this audience? What are they told to do? What's their responsibility? What's the condition? Look at that passage and tell me, is there another logical, obvious fourth point that falls out of there? Why? There's a reason given for there. What's the reason? If you don't, you're going to fail the test. You're going to fail if not. When we look at it, that's the whole point is observing sometimes opens the outline up for you. In fact, usually 
it will open the outline directly in front of you. Conjunctions will help with this. And, but, for, because. Those things will be very helpful for you. Okay, so letter C, the third, third idea. So we've had, we've had two ideas for how to write an outline. What's our first one? Get the main point. What's our second one? Look for the main parts of the argument while you are observing. Break it into main parts while you're looking at the buffalo. Letter C. Write main headings for the outline that clearly unfold the thesis. Now, B and C are different in this regard. In B, you're just looking. But in C, you're going to try to write them out and see yourself. Wait a minute. Are these parallel? Are they parallel in content? Are they parallel in importance? Some of your main points, you might say, well, that is parallel in structure, but it's not as important as this other piece over here. And you may say to yourself, if I had four sermons, perhaps I would take more time. But if I've only got 45 minutes, maybe I'll put that one out for a time. A good example might be this. In Hebrews 6, we memorized Hebrews 6 in Grace and Elam. In Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6, we memorized those three verses. And in those three verses, you could say, well, there's four descriptions of the man in verse 4, right? He's tasted the heavenly gift. He's made partakers of the word of God. He's tasted the, uh, been made partaker of the Holy Spirit and tasted the powers of the world to come. Now, now, if he's got those four descriptions, you could say right there, there's four main points to my argument. And you could preach a sermon with those four main points. But the very next verse, verse 6, is going to say, if he does this, it's impossible for him to repent. Wow, now that's not parallel. So maybe you want to say, point number one, description. Point number two, what? Falling away. Falling away or result. Now, when you write it in your observations, you might say, well, there's four descriptions. There we go. There's my four main points. Maybe. If you want to do one sermon on verses four and five, you've got your four main points. And you could call it a description of a false Christian. Four points. And anyone who has a problem, you can say, it's not even my outline. It's the author's outline. But maybe you say to yourself, I want to deal with verse 6 as well. I don't merely want to tell them what a false Christian is like. I want to tell them what's going to happen to a false Christian. So in that case, maybe you would have how many points? Description, result, or consequence, or end. Or, and then when you do letter C, what's going to happen now is you're going to transform it into a clear and compelling phrase or statement so that it's memorable and understandable for the people. Like I did just there by saying description and consequence. Oh, I've got it. And now you could go give that to the people and it's straight from the text. And if you did that, then the four descriptions would be four subpoints. So you'd have one main, main point, it's the description. And then under that, three minutes on each one. And then you move to your next one. What's the result? What's going to happen? And then you've got 12 minutes on that or, or something like that. But the point is that looking at the passage will give the, 
will give you all those ideas and then let her see when you attempt actually to put it into words, you're forced to say, wait a minute. Now, I, this is so clear in my mind when I was looking, but now when it comes to writing, things aren't as clear. Personally, that happens to me often. While I'm looking, I feel like I'm raised up to heaven. And then when I try to put it into a logical outline, I say, it seemed so clear a moment ago. But let's remember that a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pews. If things are not crystal clear in your mind, it's going to be confused out there. A logical outline contains seven elements that make the subject matter clear. And you'll see those on the next page. Okay. Uh, Just a few comments here. Number three at the bottom, letter C, number three. Uh, Pay careful attention to grammar and wording. Make your main points parallel so they can build on each other. Make sure everything supports the thesis. Top of page 47. Top of 47, make sure everything supports the thesis. Wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to preach the Bible, not preach your thesis. If you wrote your thesis well, your thesis is, in a sense... The word of God, in the sense that the Belgic Confession means it when it says preaching correctly interpreted is the word of God. They simply mean what 1 Peter 4 verses 10 and 11 says, that when a man stands up to preach, he is at that time the mouthpiece of God. He is speaking as the mouth of God in that time, and that's the word in Peter. So I I approve of the Belgic Confession when it has that, that phraseology in it, even though if we're being strict and technical, no When a man preaches, it's not the inspired word of God as the Bible and the 66 books are, but meaning it is the word of God in that God has arranged for us to explain the Bible authoritatively. In that sense, it is. I like to have several levels in my outlines, but I've known very good preachers who only have their main points. So there's going to be many different personalities But the point is to make sure that you have clear structure to the argument that you're bringing to them. There should be some kind of clear progression. As Paul mentioned last week, every good sermon has progression, has to move somewhere and do something. And if it's merely circling the block all the time, you'll never arrive at your destination. And your people might jump off halfway through. Letter D. The text, the thesis, the body are the most important since they carry the argument. The introduction, the conclusion, the transitions, they can still help the thesis to be persuasive. But the most important is the thesis and the main points, the subpoints underneath them. So now let's do this. I've put some, uh, some samples in here. I actually have this, this uh, example two or three times in, the, in these notes. So let's look on page 47 at the main parts of a logical outline. There are three. As you can see there on the bottom of page 47, the main points are the text. You must choose a passage, right? That's letter S of soldier, select a passage. You've got to choose it. All right, you've, you've settled that. Now you have to have a thesis. You've got to be able to say what your passage is saying in some kind of crisp, non-circular, non-midnight shovel approach to the text. You've got to be able to say it in a way that gets with your torch right to the shovel. And then there's got to be a body, headings and the subpoints. Now that's what you see here on 47. How many words is that? That's probably about 100 words. And you could write that out by hand in a half sheet of paper. 
Maybe, maybe a little more if your writing's big. Or... But you see there, what's the thesis? Someone read the thesis. Examine yourself to see if you really believe. Yes. First main point? The audience. The audience. Second main point? Third main point? And now my brothers convinced me, fourth main point, the reason. <laughs> but you have falling out of this passage three clear ideas, and your people can see them, and you can see them. And then there's some subpoints. Notice the call out boxes on the right. The thesis is the whole sermon in a single sentence. If your people leave with one thought, they should leave with that thought. If they can't in some way get at that, then someone messed up, you or them or both. Uh, just some technical details Paul already mentioned. A's must have a B, ones must have a two. Why is that? Because otherwise, you don't have a good reason to have that single line hanging under this other one. It's really connected with the argument. The reason there's parallels is because as soon as you make another indented line, you're making a distinction. That's what another level on an outline means. It means a distinction. Here's an idea, and then here's another one that's different from it but related to it. So if you have one, you say, here's an idea, and then here's another idea that's not an idea or in any... You've got to have some kind of relation because that's the point. That's what multiple levels of an outline mean. Here's what I do. Sometimes if I don't have a two for my one... I make it as a bullet. And when I see the bullet, I remind myself here, oh, I've got an explanatory note. I'm not presenting more distinctions that the text is handing to us. I am here explaining something from the level above, the logical, the outline level above. All right, and then you'll see on the right hand, uh, on page 48, here's a more thorough example with all seven elements of a logical outline. So on that page, uh, page 48, there are seven elements. Now, the most important are title, text, and body. But introduction, conclusion, transitions can be very helpful. And a title. So you, you have an example there of how to structure a logical outline. Again, let's keep these things in order. The most important is your text. The next most important is your thesis. The next most important are your main headings. If you don't have those, you can't preach because you have nothing to say. You're like that, the man after Absalom's death who said, I want to run and tell David. And he ran but had no message. And when he got there, they said, David said, is the, is the, is the boy Absalom, the man Absalom alive? And he said, I don't know. Turn aside. Someone should preach on that in a pastor's conference. Many people are running, but they have no message to say. And then the next man comes and says, I have a message. All right. The purpose statement is the beginning to all of this, the thesis statement. But then it logically breaks down into an outline. Now in about five or ten minutes, let's go to the back and maybe have a little humor to be a good teaching point. Go to appendix number one, which is page 67. On page 67, we have a good example of a terrible outline. And let's just for a few moments try to answer the questions on the right. Uh, I don't think we'll get into this, so let me pause before we look at the terrible outline. Let me turn you to page 68, 
a sample outline for a topical sermon. That's a sermon on church covenants. And then flip the page again. And there's a sample outline for an expository sermon. So if you want a sample pattern to follow, there's some samples uh, that the expository sermon is from 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. And then turning back, the topical sermon is on church covenants. So that gives you an example if you'd like to uh, follow those or look at those for reference in the future. But going to page 67, let's answer some of these questions about a terrible outline. And I've got to admit, though I, uh, though I wrote this, I, I don't want to plagiarize because the best parts of this outline... It makes me so happy to hear that laughter. It sh- you should be laughing here. The best parts of this I actually got from previous students' papers that I was grading. So let's, um, let's just glance down through this. I circled 33 errors in this, and that doesn't include um, content. That doesn't include things that were absent. That only includes um, problems right here. So look at the title. What's wrong with the title? The title, if you pass this test, this is from 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And the title is, if you pass this test, you are number one. What's the problem with the title? It's sensational. What, what is it talking about? It's some kind, it's a cliche. Okay. And then he includes the text on the outline. Maybe you want to do that. Kids, not necessarily wrong, but Why? I saw some people, when, when they were doing this class for credit, they cut and pasted their whole sermon out, the, the whole text, into the outline, I think to make their sermon outline look longer, because we required it to be two or three pages. And they had 12 verses, and then to see how long my outline is. Are you gonna, you're not going to have your Bible with you? Okay, look at the introduction. What's wrong there? Well, no heading saying introduction. What else? The one bullet point is off. Uh, okay, the third bullet point is off. Uh, But in the introduction, everyone wants to know about God, but they don't know about God because they don't have knowledge of God. (laughs) What's wrong with this? It's a tautology, it's repetition, it's cliche. This is true almost everywhere. (laughs) Um, It's uh, meaningless repetitions. Most people don't know what they really want. (laughs) They don't want what they really know. And that line, if I remember correctly, was lifted exactly from one of the student's papers. And now we have Corinthians. <laughs> this just makes me laugh thinking about this. Especially since I knew the, you know, where it comes from. Okay, uh, as you go through the whole thing, you're going to see it. Now, there's not, it's not all bad. There's going to write some good. But in the introduction, you've got paragraph, then you've got bullets. You've got par- uh, bullets that aren't lined up. 2 Corinthians 13.5 is an example of Paul. Then you have the, the verse number 5 superscripted rather than written with the colon, which it was earlier. If you want to superscript them all or whatever, I've seen some people, they put periods instead of colons. Do it the same the whole way through. Uh, Brad Smith and, and Bethel Baptist always did periods instead of colons. Fine, just whatever you're going to do to the same thing. But he has a colon and the next one's a superscript. Thesis, when we have faith, we are really in the faith. <laughs> uh, means nothing, tautology. Number one, this letter. <laughs> that actually was. 
This letter is written in Corinthian. That was from a student's paper as well. The author started this church, 1B, da 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 da. Okay. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about sin being headed. Yep. So, so I, this is bad the whole way down. What's wrong with the, what's wrong with the um, main headings? Irrelevant? Yep, what else? One, three, and four. Uh, they're not parallel. They're not clear. They're not sentences, except some of them might be sentences. Badly written. Um, okay. What's wrong with the subpoints? What's wrong with the subpoints? They don't support the main points. Like number three, which is number two, letter A, saved or lost, you decide. <laughs> um, Christ in us and through us and to us. Okay, what's wrong with the conclusion? It has nothing to do with the passage. It's true, but it has nothing at all to do. All scripture is given by God. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? From the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have scripture that is verbally inspired, God breathed. This is what I've been getting around to. What, what are you talking about? And then this also, the last line, was taken directly from a, another man's sermon. He closed it with this. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Three exclamation points. Okay, a good example of a terrible outline. Here's a person who has zeal but no discipline. I won't even say there's no knowledge. It's no discipline. He refused to sit down and force his mind to get inside the boundaries of logic. He said, logic, I'm bigger than that. And so his congregation was smaller than his mind. Questions or comments as we close?